Okay, now, did you really mean that? The whole thanks be to God part? Really? After hearing this text? I'm going to hold you to that. You know, this story starts with a, with a crowd. Jesus has left the familiar confines of a home where he has had semi-private conversations just before. And he's making his way to Jerusalem where he is going to die. And large crowds are following after him. There's this little event happening right across the way in September, right, right, right catty corner to us, called the Pilgrimage. It's Franklin's own music festival. It's fairly young, only I think this may be the third year. Kim and I have gone every year, and we love it. And I remember commenting to Kim last year, there was so much space out here, out there at Harlandsdale, so much space that they would probably never be able to sell this thing out. We got online to order our tickets just a few days ago and discovered that apparently, yes, even a space as vast as Harlandsdale Farms can sell out when Justin Timberlake is performing. You know Justin, he's a local boy. Get the right name and just like that, a large crowd. You heard about Beyonce's twins yet? I ran into people who don't know the first thing about the Russia controversy in the political world, but their Facebook pages lit up when Beyonce revealed the names of her twins, Sir Carter and Rumi. Beyonce and her husband Jay-Z have put a trademark on those names. You didn't realize Genevieve could have done the same. Sir Carter and Rumi. The trademarks secure the rights for teething rings and strollers and rattles and playing cards, water bottles, and other items. Doesn't seem quite fair to the 13th century mystic and poet Rumi that he has been upstaged in the merchandising game, but that's the power of a large crowd. Seems that everywhere Justin Timberlake, or JT for those of us who know him well, um, seems everywhere Justin Timberlake and Beyonce go, there are large crowds in real life and online paying crowds. Crowds interested in what they wear, where they shop, what they eat, what they name their babies. That's where this story begins, with a large crowd. A crowd which, let's face it, Jesus is not terribly interested in cultivating. I suspect the celebrity phenomenon was as real then as it is now. And perhaps Jesus knows that the people in this crowd are following after him because he's just the latest in a long line of popular traveling preachers to pass through Galilee and Jerusalem. It's an enthusiastic crowd. And Jesus seems concerned about their enthusiasm. Perhaps they believe Jesus is on a march to take over Jerusalem. 
He would not be the first, you know, to do such a thing. It was a political tinderbox in Galilee and in Jerusalem in those days, with the Jews chafing under Roman occupation and willing to follow anyone who could get up a crowd. They might have been imagining Galilee versus Jerusalem, peasants versus power, Jews versus Romans, Jesus versus the establishment. You know how it is, how easy it is to get up a crowd, a mob even, mobilized against another, the other. Maybe they're just excited by the spectacle of the crowd. All these people gathered in one place must mean something important is happening, and no one wants to miss out. Who knows, really? But Jesus seems awfully suspicious. Suspicious of their enthusiasm, leery of this large crowd. I lose track of the number of conversations I have with clergy colleagues that go something like this. How did Sunday go for you? Oh, it was great. We had a great crowd. I bet we had 300, 320, 323. Those numbers, even small ones, they're important. How about you? Oh, same here. We were worried because it was a holiday weekend, but I looked out there and there were very few gaps in the pews. A great crowd. On another day, when asked about worship, the tone might be a little different. Not a very good day. Numbers were down. Same here. It was a pretty day. That a lot of people were gone to the lake. Or it was, it was kind of a rainy day. You know Presbyterians and, and water. <laughs> Notice, nothing about the singing, nothing about the sermon, nothing about the reflections on the text, Nothing about the presence of the Spirit, just the crowd. Crowds are up, that means it's a good day. Crowds are down, that means it's a bad day. So we pastors, we see a text that begins with, large crowds were following him, and our pulse rate goes up just a bit. We see pews full of enthusiastic members, and we wait with bated breath to see what pearls of wisdom Jesus is going to dispense, how he will draw this large crowd ever closer in. Jesus would have failed the church growth class in seminary. If he was in control of the signs that we put out here on Franklin Road, they would say, Welcome to First Presbyterian Church, Franklin. We invite you to come in Hate your family, give away all your possessions, take up your cross, and die. Have a nice day. <laughs> There's no use sugarcoating it. Jesus lays out these terms of discipleship, what it means, what it will cost to follow him. He intends, it seems, to make this large crowd pause. And reflect for a moment and truly understand what they must give up in order to take up the cross Jesus offers. As David Brooks describes her 
Dorothy Day was consumed by a passionate drive to social justice. She was good at organizing people to achieve social change. She was indignant at the rampant poverty she saw in the New York City of her time. And so she dives into this crowd of poor people and the radicals who are working for change. Yet even during all of that work, in her all-out effort to be with and organize the masses of the poor, she hears another voice. She was extremely self-critical, Brooks writes, which, which flowed from a deep spiritual hunger. She seems to have felt that, for her, activism without faith would fail. She pays a heavy price for this insight. She surrounded herself with people who do not believe are not persons of faith, including some of the people closest to her, including the man she hoped would be her husband. Finally, the moment arrives where she is pushed into a corner by her boyfriend, with whom she was deeply in love. He is a radical and an atheist. Her boyfriend, David Forster, asks the questions many of her friends were asking her, have you lost your mind? Who is pushing you to an archaic and backward institution like the church? Who is the secret person in your life corrupting you in this way? Finally, she quietly said to him, it is Jesus. I guess it is Jesus Christ who is the one pushing me to the church. Forster turned white and went silent. He didn't move. He just sat there glaring at her. What is the cause? You can imagine Dorothy Day in that crowd, that large crowd, feeling a summons to something beyond the crowd. Crowds are usually a mile wide and an inch deep. Enthusiasm and excitement are fuel quickly used up in the struggle. What Jesus offers instead is a cross and a radically different way of seeing the world, of being in the world, one that orients us to the rhythms of grace and sends us out to join with Christ his work in the world. It costs us something. It means placing ourselves in spaces of vulnerability. It means framing even our family relationships in the shadow of the cross. The word hate in this text is, is really a Semitic word that meant to turn away from or to detach it did not have the sense then that it does now of a feeling of hatred for another. What it does mean, however, is that in the network of the many loyalties in which all of us live, 
The claim of Christ and the gospel not only takes precedence, but in fact redefines all the others. To submit all our loyalties, even our closest ones, to our loyalty to Christ is not to diminish those other relationships, but to strengthen them. When I was in divinity school, Many of you know, I've mentioned before, I spent a year doing an internship on the oncology floor of what was then Baptist Hospital in Midtown Nashville. I showed up every day not really knowing what awaited me in those rooms. I had all the wisdom you would expect of a 23-year-old seminary student. I had been taught that when someone asked for a chaplain, I should understand that to them I was representing God and I should be prepared to hear their pain and possibly even their anger and it would often be directed toward me. That indeed did happen many times. But what I didn't really expect were all the times I heard words of thanksgiving. All the people who were dying and those who loved them watching them die. And they would call for the chaplain because they wanted to say thank you to God. More precisely to Jesus. Many of the times uh, these folks lived in areas outside of Nashville and their pastors couldn't be there with them. And they just, they just wanted someone who represented that larger body of which they were a part to hear them say, thank you. The story had a certain arc to it. I don't know what my life would have been without Jesus at the center of it. It hasn't been easy. But without my faith, I would not have known such grace and love. My family would not be as close as we are. My life would have been smaller. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously wrote about cheap grace. By this he did not mean, as he's often misinterpreted, that you somehow had to pay for grace or work your way to grace. But he meant simply that the grace of God is found in Jesus Christ. And the way to experience the grace of Jesus Christ is to be in proximity to Him. And the way to be close to Him is to follow Him. And the following, that's what's going to cost you. That's why it's not cheap, this grace. It's going to cost you, well, it's, it's going to cost you everything. So Jesus says, count the cost. The road we walk with him, we will not walk perfectly. The road we walk with him, we will not walk painlessly. The road we walk with him, we will not walk without being changed and having our relationships changed into the pattern of the cross. The road we walk with Him will expose our deepest vulnerabilities. 
and the road we walk with him will bring us life, abundant and true, while we yet live. That's a message worth putting on the sign out there on Franklin Road for the crowds to see, and us as well. Thanks be to God, really. Amen.